0: Alright then, hello. Listen, if you're a little bit bored by how things are on planet Earth right now, why don't you join in and we'll take a quick spin around the universe. This is the Fun Kids Science Weekly. My name's Dan, thank you so much for being there, for listening and for following us. Every week we come together to have an adventure through the universe to discover all those science secrets that are lurking through the solar system. This week, we'll learn about a very special birthday for one of the most famous steam trains on the planet with the rail genius Karen Bennett.
1: If you boil a kettle, you'll know what happens when you put the water in the kettle and you heat up the water, you get steam that comes out. And Back in the early days, when they first discovered the powers of steam, they realised if you heated things up and, and steam was created, then that could create energy.
0: Also, we'll take a trip to the smartest school in the solar system, Deep Space High, to try and figure out how old the
2: Earth is. Everything in the solar system was made around the same time, four and a half billion years ago.
3: But what I don't get is how we know. I mean, humans weren't there. Nothing was there.
2: Your Dangerous
0: Dan this week is something with the most amazing name ever, and I've got your questions to answer on night vision and eye colour. It's all coming up in a brand new Fun Kids Science Weekly. Let's start things off with your science in the news. Conservation efforts to boost numbers of the world's biggest frog are going well. The goliath frog is found in Africa and it can grow to the size of a cat. It's been overhunted for food and for pets and is considered endangered now. But by working on its ecosystem and building some new homes for it, small numbers are boosting. Nothing fantastic, nothing too great yet, but it's a brilliant sign, isn't it? That no matter what type of animal it is, no matter how it looks, and frogs are slimy at the best, scientists will put their effort into finding out how we can keep these fantastic creatures going, and I love that we do that. Also, some parts of the sea off of the English coast are getting very strict environmental protections to make them healthy again. Fishing is banned, along with mining. You can't lay cables down there anymore. Now, this should help leave the seabed alone and help the ecosystem get healthy again so that wildlife down there can flourish. It's another brilliant idea. Using everything that we've learned to try and maybe fix some of the things that we've done in the past, When we didn't know better What we've been up to on the sea Has caused havoc to the seabed It's destroyed the homes of so many creatures That live there and we need to boost that again We need to to fix everything So I love that we're doing that Also spectacular displays of the northern lights Have been seen all over the UK this week It's very rare because normally the bright streaking lights in the sky, the Aurora Borealis, stay over the Arctic Circle way up north, but they've been spotted down south over the UK this week. It's because we're at quite a strong point in the sun's solar flare cycle. And those solar flares, almost the radiation, interact with our atmosphere, everything up there, in a very specific way, which gives these gorgeous lights up above. It's like someone has streaked green, gold, blues, pinks, and yellow paint all over the sky. It's so fantastic. I'm really gutted, because I don't live too far away from where loads of people could see the northern lights, but I never poked my head out of the door, completely forgot that it was going on, but... It's really incredible that we can see this all over the world sometimes. It's time to spin the big wheel then. It's another episode of the A to Z of engineering. For the last few weeks, we have been learning all about everything that happens in engineering, the brilliant world there, how things are designed, created and fixed. And we've been going right the way through the alphabet from A to Z, learning from acoustics all the way through to zoos. Uh, To find out which letter we're learning about this week, we need to spin that big wheel with Engers, our engineering expert.
4: Hello and welcome to another Engineering Academy, where we're exploring an A to Z of everything engineering. Let's spin the wheel and see where we're engineering today. Over to Engers to spin the wheel.
5: It's Jay. And J is for jet engines.
4: Jet engines are behind some of the most awe inspiring moments in our planet's history. From helping us travel away on holiday thousands of miles in a matter of hours, to taking us into space and even landing on the moon. And the advances keep coming. In 2022, American space agency NASA launched its most powerful ever rocket from Cape Canaveral in Florida. The 100-meter-tall Artemis rocket climbed skyward in a stupendous mix of light and sound. It's objective to hurl an astronaut capsule in the direction of the moon and test new systems ahead of astronauts themselves heading to the lunar surface for the first time since 1972. Pretty cool, huh? And if you've been lucky enough to travel on a plane, you'll know that aircraft engines are, well, powerful and very loud they need to be to create enough thrust to lift the aircraft which can weigh as much as 200 tons let's check out the engineering behind these enormous engines over to engers who visited the rolls-royce factory in derby
5: rolls-royce are one of the biggest aircraft engineer manufacturers in the world Their facility at Derby is where engines are assembled and tested before being sent to aircraft producers such as Boeing and Airbus who attach them to the planes they build. It's a supersonic turnaround. Each engine is built in as little as 30 days. So what do aircraft engineers do? Well, they're experts in the scientific and technological aspects of aircraft. They research, design and develop components and devices used to operate aircraft. They have to consider aerodynamic principles, air safety as well as passenger comfort. And it all starts with design. Engineers will generate a design of whatever they're developing using computers. And when happy with their design, will create models for testing. Once everything has been successfully tested, it's time to get building. Safety is of the utmost importance in aviation. Specialist aviation engineers will conduct tests to measure the performance of their engines and look to improve the safety features. For example, jet engines can be affected by torrential rainstorms, icy conditions in winter, and even birds flying into the engines. Real-life hangar simulations can help them ensure the engines remain safe whatever the conditions. Environmental impact is a hot topic currently, and so engineers will research and develop ways to make their engines more environmentally friendly. This could be getting them to fly more miles per gallon or use greener fuels that release less carbon. Developing quieter engines is also important, especially for those who live close to airports and under the flight paths. And the work doesn't end there. Once a plane is operational, it's important to perform regular maintenance. Engineers will make routine inspections to service aircraft, replacing worn-out components and repairing damage. There are always new developments in aerospace engineering, from greener fuels to innovative new materials. An example is Ultrafan, the world's largest jet engine. With a combination of carbon-titanium blades and a composite casing, this light yet strong engine uses 25% less fuel. Rolls Royce is also developing other low carbon solutions, including an all electric aircraft.
4: Thanks, Engers. And that's our take on the letter J. It's been a joy. If you'd like to check out some other types of engineering, why not check out Joining or Jewelry Engineering?
0: Engineer Academy, created with support from the Royal Academy of Engineering. If you would like to find out more about the A to Z, visit funkidslive.com engineer. More with Engers, the engineering expert, at the same time next week. Right now, I am Dan, I am your science expert the one who answers your questions every single week. If you've got anything science rattling around your brain that you really need figured out, there's a couple of ways that you can get in touch. The best way is by leaving a voice note on funkidslive.com. If you find the Science Weekly page there, we've got a big button that you can press, then leave your question. Let me know your name as well so I can say hello. Today's first question comes in from someone called Minecraft Puppy. This was left as a review on Apple Podcasts. They want to know, do we have night vision? Do animals have night vision? Well, humans don't have very good night vision at all, but a lot of animals do. You see, it's all about light. That's how we see things, whether light is reflected or absorbed by objects, And humans aren't good at finding what light there may be in the darkness, but creatures are brilliant at it. Now, in our eyes, we don't have something called a tapetum lucidum. It's a little bit of tissue right at the back of the eye that reflects light. We don't have it, but a lot of animals do. And the reflected light means that the part of the eye called the photoreceptors... They're the bits that turn light into signals and information for your brain. They get more stuff to work with. They're a lot better at spotting whatever little light might be out there in the dark. Now, one of the types of photoreceptors that we mentioned is called the rod cell, which sounds like something you might use to clean up your bathroom, to stick down your drains, doesn't it? Well, the rod cells are very sensitive to light. They pick up a lot of information from it, and it helps them understand what's happening. And get this... Cats can have over eight times the amount of rod cells that us humans have, which shows you just how much better they are at seeing in the dark. Also, they've got bigger eyeballs with normally bigger irises and wider pupils that help them take in more of the light that there is. So, Minecraft puppy, thank you so much. We don't have great night vision. Animals do because they're much better at using all the light that's available to them. Let's stay with the eyes for this next question. Uh, Dylan is in Miami who wants to know... Why his eyes are blue, and how come other people have different coloured eyes? Well, Dylan, what actually affects the colour of your eye is something called melanin. It's a pigment, and it's, it's like a chemical, and it's in your body, and it colours things, colours everything. How light or dark your hair is, that's down to the amount of melanin that's in that. It's the same with your eye, and it is useful, Melanin absorbs harmful ultraviolet light from the sun and it protects your cells from damage. So if you have lighter blue eyes, you have less melanin, which means that your eyes may be more at risk of sun damage when it's a bright day. It's the same with your skin. You might notice that people with light-coloured hair get harsher-looking sunburn than those with darker-coloured hair. Now... That's the science behind why your eye is a certain colour, what actually makes it that colour. The amount of melanin in your eyes, though, and the colour of them is determined mainly by your genes. That's the information that's passed down in your DNA. It's kind of like the science script of who you are when you're born. Now, brown is the most common eye colour in the world. Almost 80% of humans have brown eyes. That's all down to genes and melanin. Thank you so much for the question. Dylan in Miami, uh, nice and sunny over there. Need to wear your sunglasses to make sure you're safe in that sun, especially if you've got a lot of melanin. Thank you so much for the question. If you have got something you want answered on this podcast next week, the best way is by getting to funkidslife.com, finding our page, clicking the big record button and letting me know what your question is. You can also do that by sending it to us as a voice note on the free Fun Kids app. It's time for this week's Dangerous Dan where we look at some of the most mean, evil, amazing, cruel and strange things in the universe. This week, it's a very peculiar bit of weather with two names that I love but I can't decide which is cooler. What do you think? Shall we go with the Snownado? Or the snow devil it's called both of them you can find a snow nado in areas where there is a lot of snow on the ground normally near mountains now you know what a tornado looks right before you've seen them in films and on telly and stuff a swirling spinning vortex of air and dust that's what a snow nado is but with snow now it's all about hot air We've spoken so many times on the show that hot air is lighter. It's less dense than the cold air around it, which means it rises. Now, sometimes on the ground, a patch of snow can be a little warm. So when cold air passes over the top, that warm snow beneath it wants to rise because that's what happens but when it rises it spins it creates a vortex especially if it's kind of windy and it spins round and round and round so you get a tornado made of snow you get a snow nader you get a snow devil it's very rare because you don't often get snow warm enough to lift up through the air and especially be warmer than the air that is above it and I have to say I have to be honest it's not really that dangerous but they're cold they spin around they look amazing it's a vortex with a brilliant name so the snow devil goes straight onto our dangerous dan list It's the Fun Kids Science Weekly. Now, the world's most famous steam locomotive is celebrating a very big birthday this year. The Flying Scotsman has turned 100 years old and we can find out more. Karen Bennett is a train expert from Community Rail Lancashire and can tell us all about it. Karen, thank you for joining us.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: So we'll have listeners to this podcast all around the world who might not know as much about the Flying Scotsman as we do. Just tell us about... What it is, why is it so important to us Brits, really?
1: Well, Flying Scotsman, as you said, reaches 100 years of age this year. And there are a lot of exciting things happening up and down the country to celebrate that. It's one big 100th birthday party. I'm going to be doing a lot of work with some schools to show them just how exciting it is to be involved. When I've been visiting schools doing my work, I've been telling them why Flying Scotsman is so important to us here. And one of the things I've been telling those children is that Flying Scotsman has not always been in this country. It spent its time around the world. It holds world records for travelling the longest distance without stopping. Uh, That didn't happen in this country because there's a country a lot bigger than us uh, over in Australia where it hit that record. But for some time in its life, it actually spent some time over in the United States, um, and it got stuck there. The people who owned it went bankrupt and they couldn't afford to bring it back to the UK. So that was that was really sad. And we, we got together. We, we made sure that uh, there were certain people that brought it back. And, you know, in its life, it's been quite uncertain who was going to look after it, what was going to happen with it. But now, finally, it's in the hands of the National Railway Museum who are treasuring it uh, and making sure it's doing its best. So it's really important that we as a nation go out and celebrate its birthday and um, celebrate the fact that it's working it's looking its best um, and it always attracts the crowds it's 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 popular for very good reason
0: it's a big big old train a huge locomotive so it kind of came to life a hundred years ago what's that back in 1923 tell us all about it as in back then what would it have been doing in the first few years of its life
1: Well, it spent a lot of time working for the London Northeastern Railway. Um, It was designed by the very famous Sir Nigel Gresley, who's who's, uh, got a lot of... uh, steam locos under his belt. Um, You can see a lot of those at the National Railway Museum. Um, But it would have spent quite a bit of time going from London to Edinburgh. So uh, when it it first came out, it didn't actually, it wasn't known as Flying Scotsman then. Um, It was just known by its its model number. But because it was doing that trip from London up to Edinburgh, um, I believe it took somewhere in the region of eight hours um, back in the day. And obviously you can do that a lot quicker these days. Um, but but back in the day when that was doing that was doing that work, it, it took that amount of time. It actually had a, a bit of a, an upgrade um, during its early life, where they created a bit of a tunnel um, uh, for the for the staff on the footplate to, to switch crew. They couldn't have the same crew during the four eight hours that had been a bit too worn out doing all that um, shifting of the coal, etc. So they had a they had a little tunnel built. So crew could swap round in the journey and that meant that we could get from London to Scotland a little quicker.
0: And in its time over the last 100 years, you said it's been all over the world, over to America and Australia. What types of different jobs has it had? Has it always been used for just... Passengers for ferrying people here, there and everywhere?
1: Yeah, I mean, obviously it's been a passenger steam train. I mean, these days it doesn't take passengers from A to B who might be sort of going to work or school, but it's used more to bring people out and to do exciting things. So I'm going to be taking some schools to, to teach them about careers in rail next week. So, you know, it's really important that although we don't use steam trains day-to-day to get us from A to B, we, we go on them to celebrate just how wonderful they are. It's kind of teaching young people today that there are careers out in the railway, which are fantastic opportunities for young people. It's a great place to work. I love working on the railway. I was a primary school teacher for 10 years. um, So I still get to work with young people, but I absolutely love working on the railway. It's a fantastic place to work. Some really great people and some really great opportunities. If you love working in STEM, it's a really good place to be. So these days... Flying Scotsman's almost encouraging a new generation of railway workers, even though they they, they might not be necessarily working on a footplate of a steam engine. But actually, just getting excited by seeing such a great locomotive will, will inspire them to look at careers in this sector that I'm in.
0: Now, you said that we don't often use steam trains to travel anymore, so we might not know how they work. We spoke about the footplate, that's the place where the people shovel coal into the fire. Can you just try and quickly sum up how it would be powered? What's going on with the coal in the fire with the steam on top? How does it get places?
1: If you boil a kettle, you'll know what happens when you Put the water in the kettle, and you heat up the water you get steam that comes out and back in the early days when they first discovered the powers of steam they realized if you heated things up and, and steam was created then that could create energy with a steam engine when they were first invented they didn't actually move putting the coal into the furnace for steam engine is creating that steam which then creates that kinetic energy to move so i mean the ins and outs for steam engine is way beyond my particular remit um because i tend to tend to work with modern trains these days this is a little little bit of a one-off for me but I think For your listeners that are really interested in in how science works, just looking at simple things around your home that you do each and every day, you don't realise that it's science. I've I've just boiled a kettle, I've got a cup of coffee whilst I talk to you now, and I didn't really think much of pushing that button, but actually the amount of thinking that goes behind that and what it can do, it's a very similar sort of set of rules for how a steam train works. So um, if you're really interested in all the ins and outs, I do encourage you to look things up on the internet or maybe visit the National Railway, Museum in York because they have got a steam engine with half the side taken off so you can see how the different parts move.
0: Now it's not just us people who are kind of interested in trains that love the Flying Scotsman like people who absolutely love their trains people like you uh, are all over this locomotive you mentioned earlier that it's really fast but what is it about this that holds such a romance for people do you think?
1: It's funny, actually, because a lot of people I've, I've told I'm working on this project this year, and I so saw I'm working on Flying Scotsman, and even my friends and family who don't usually sort of want to listen to my <laughs> train stories will always have a story about when they remember Flying Scotsman coming through their town. My colleague I work with on, in Community Rail, Lancashire, Dave, He lives in Accrington and Flying Scotsman passed by near where he lived last week. And he went out at 10 o'clock at night with his camera to go and take a picture of the train. Now, trains go up and down past his house all the time. But because he knew Flying Scotsman was coming, he wanted to make sure he was there. And I think it's because what I explained to the young children when I went to their schools in Bury a couple of weeks ago is compare Flying Scotsman with one of your favourite celebrities today. So I asked the children, who's your favourite celebrity? And some of them told me footballers and some of them told me some singers. So if you imagine, say Harry Styles, Harry Styles walks into your school, there's going to be pandemonium. There's going to be people running over, wanting to take selfies. Everybody's going to want to to be there flying scotsman's almost like the sort of harry styles of the railway world it's the it's something that everybody wants to get a selfie with somebody wants to see Um, they've just become famous and um everybody has has a story in their life of of when flying scotsman's taken a journey near their house or perhaps when they've they've even taken a journey because of course because it's flying scotsman's 100th birthday year its centenary It's going to be all over the UK on all different heritage railways. So it's definitely worth having a look to see um, when Flying Scotsman might be on a railway near you because you could be lucky enough to travel on a train behind Flying Scotsman, but you might even be allowed to go and have a little look at the footplate. I took my son to see the Flying Scotsman last week and he he actually managed to go on the footplate and blow the whistle, which he absolutely loved.
0: There's so much going on all around the country. If you're here in the UK, uh, check out Flying Scotsman. You can find out all about it online. Karen Bennett, Train Genius, thank you for joining us.
1: You're very welcome. Thank you.
0: One last quick adventure then. Let's go to Deep Space High. For the last few weeks, we've been travelling to the smartest school in the solar system to catch up with Professor Pulsar. He, he's he got a brilliant view of us on planet Earth. They've got a massive window on Deep Space High. They can see all of our planet, and Professor Pulsar is a genius. He knows about what makes planet Earth, why it does what it does. This week, it's all about what radioactive dating is and how that can help us.
5: Deep Space High. Earthwatch. With support from the Royal Astronomical Society. Jump into a wormhole and travel to Deep Space High, the school in space. But hurry, because lessons are about to begin.
3: So the Earth was created about 4.5 billion years ago, right? That's right. And so was Mars.
2: Yep, Mars, Mercury, Venus, in fact, all the other planets in our solar system. Give or take a millennia. And our sun. Yes, Sam. Everything in the solar system was made around the same time. Four and a half billion years ago.
3: But what I don't get is how we know. I mean, humans weren't there. Nothing was there. It would have just been... Well, a big swirling mass of dust clumping into balls.
2: Sounds like the dust under your bed.
3: Hey, I cleaned my
2: room last week. All right, but haven't you learned anything, Sam? There's an incredible amount we can tell just by observing stuff. I still don't get it. Even if you observe, I don't know, all the oceans, mountains,
3: volcanoes and clouds, where does it say... 4.5 billion
2: years old Well the sort of dating you're talking about Isn't done by looking at massive things Like oceans and mountains It's done by looking at some of the tiniest Particles in the atoms of rocks It's called radioactivity dating Sounds kind of Complicated It is but there's a simple way to explain it Let's pop over to Greenland It's nice and snowy there And I fancy building a snowman Um, couldn't you find an example somewhere hot? Pay attention. Now look here. We have two snowmen. Just using powers of observation, can you tell which is the oldest? Well, one is still very round and tall.
3: He's still got his hat on. The other one has started to melt a bit. Yep, I can see he's in a puddle of water. Obviously, the melted one is the oldest one.
2: And you can tell because of many things. Like snowmen begin to fall apart as time goes on.
3: So... It's same inside rocks?
2: You got it. If you were to go inside the atoms of rocks with very powerful microscopes, you'd be able to see that tiny elements, particularly uranium, have also begun to break down. It's called radioactive decay. The amount of decay shows us how old the rock is.
3: OK, that tells us how old Earth is, but what about the rest of the solar system?
2: You're forgetting about all the meteorites. Lumps of rock flying around the solar system. Plenty of them land on our planet and we know that everyone is the same age. All thanks to radioactivity dating.
3: I think I'd be more thankful for a big woolly jumper.
2: Fair enough. Let's get radio active and get out of here.
0: And that is it for this week's episode of the Fun Kids Science Weekly. We'll be back with another deep space high for you at the same time next week and loads more. A brilliant guest, more dangerous stands, loads more of your questions too. If you've enjoyed any of the series that you've heard today, you can hear loads more of them on Google, Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your shows. They're on the free Fun Kids app and at funkidslive.com as well. And Fun Kids, we are a children's radio station from the UK. Listen all over the country on your DAB digital radio and at funkidslive.com. And the best place to listen to us, where you can get over 30 Fun Kids podcasts completely ad-free and get loads more Bonus episodes of this show and more is with Fun Kids Podcasts Plus. Try it for free right now over at funkidslive.com and on Apple Podcasts.
3: All right, um, it's got some amazingly pink and white flowers. The leaves look quite kind of like um, kind of furry, you know what I mean? It's a warm spring day in late March and ever since the leaves have started to come out, Ruby Jo has been wondering why some trees lose their leaves and some don't. And also like how the trees know when it's time to shed their leaves. To find out, join us on The Conversation's Curious Kids wherever you get your podcasts.